Our series that we're on is called uh, Making Your Mark. If you have a Bible, go with me to two passages. I'm going to be in Isaiah, so go to chapter 1. We're going to pan our way through the book of Isaiah today. It's an Old Testament book, largest prophetic book in the, in the back of your Old Testament. And then hold your hand there in Isaiah 1 or put a marker there. And then go to the back of your Bible, the back of the New Testament, the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12 is really the keystone piece for the whole series. And, and, uh, and here's what Hebrews chapter 12 says. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, perfecter of our faith. So, dear God in heaven, as we hear your word, and as it begins to penetrate our souls, may we be the people not only of faith, but of hanging on kind of faith. The kind of people that not just believe you to get ready for heaven, but believe you to leave a mark here on earth for your glory. And uh, now, uh, may you be the divine teacher through the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Thank you for your word. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. So when the writer of Hebrews writes, therefore, you've got to figure out what it's there for. It's chapter 11, the whole list of great people of faith. He's saying, in light of such a great cloud of witnesses, this whole line of people, because there have been hundreds, literally thousands, tens, hundreds of thousands, who've believed the Lord and followed, even though they don't have complete revelation. Certainly the people of Hebrews 11, for the most part, were all Old Testament saints, believed God, but really didn't see Jesus come. They serve as an encouragement to us. And they not only serve as an encouragement to us, but they serve as a teaching mechanism too. They, they help us see God and see God's greater plan. And what I want to talk to you about today is how in the world you can leave a legacy by living a legacy. You do that here and now and today. I, I, uh, I began the series by asking the question, what if you could go back and meet one of those people from Hebrews chapter 11? You know, if there's a great cloud of witnesses, and if you could go up into the stands and grab one of them and bring them down and help you run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, what would they say? How would they say, here's how you make your life significant. Here's what really matters. What would you say? Well, Isaiah is one of those kind of guys. Uh, Isaiah lived about 750, 800 years before Jesus came. Probably the most popular of all of the prophets, for Christians at least. He wrote the longest prophetic book. He gave us a great picture of Jesus. In fact, I believe you could actually read through Isaiah and get a fairly good idea about the Savior without ever having the Gospels. He is that clear. It's that prophetic. And, and so why is it that we're so close to Isaiah? Why, why do we love him so much? Well, I wanted to just pan through a, a number of the passages of Isaiah, and I'm going to give you some of the highlights. And you're going to take some notes, because some of these passages are ones you go, oh, I love that passage. I wondered where that was. I'm going to give it to you today. Isaiah chapter 1, come now. Let us settle the matter together, verse 18, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. They're, they're red like crimson. They shall be like wool. He's saying salvation is a gift. It's breaking news. He says the, the scarlet, the redness of your life, the Lord's going to make that white like snow. All that's going to be resolved. Um, skip down to chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord will give you a sign. 
a virgin will conceive, give birth to a son, they'll call him Emmanuel. Get this, he is prophesying that the coming Messiah, this Savior, this King, is going to come in a birth, and it will come from a virgin, and they're going to call him God, Emmanuel, God with us. And we love him because he introduces to us the path the anointed one will take, and he will be truly God with us. Skip down to chapter 9. It almost feels like a Christmas message, doesn't it? Chapter 9, verse 6, we love these passages. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Um, get that. He, he, this, this Messiah, this anointed one, Messiah is Old Testament word for anointed one from God. It, how in the world is he going to come? He'll be a child, verse 6. It'll be a male. And the government will be on his shoulders. The government has worked hard at getting it right, never could. Government never could be at peace. Take all of human history, put it together, and put it in a timeline. And mark the days of world peace. There are very few days of world peace. Very few. And he's saying the government will be on his shoulders. In other words, he will settle how we get along. And when he's done, you're going to call him Wonderful God, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now verse 7, and of the greatness of his government and peace, there'll be no end. In other words, when he begins to rule, there'll be no end to this. He will reign on David's throne, so it's going to be very Jewish, okay? David's throne, over the kingdom, establishing, upholding justice and righteousness from that day on forever. Wouldn't you love to have a government that was... Get that, go back and, and look at it. Wouldn't you love to live in a government that was both just and right, and like what Micah said, full of mercy? Wouldn't you love that? Well, yeah, I would. Who gets it right all the time? Yeah, there will come a kingdom that will be like that, and Jesus will be the ruler, and the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. The Almighty will accomplish this. Now, right now you're saying, well, you know, Jesus did come, and, and it's still not right, it's still not just, that's right. Because Isaiah didn't see the whole thing. All he saw was what he saw. He didn't see the whole thing. So he's trying to make it out. It's a bit dim, as Corinthians would say. It's a bit misty. So he doesn't see it all. And But what he does see, he sees this baby born, but he sees this kingdom. Well, he's actually seen the baby born. That's his first coming. And then he's saying, and the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. That's the kingdom coming. That hasn't happened yet. Okay, when Jesus comes back, he comes the first time, he comes on a donkey. The second time he comes, he's on a white horse, and he's charging. He takes over, right? So he doesn't see it all for what it is. He just sees what he sees. That's all he knows. And that's the problem with prophecy, because you don't get it crystal clear. I'm reminded of the story of three blind men who were were, uh, taken by an escort to a zoo, just to be able to experience a zoo. And the escort took the three blind men to, uh, to the elephant cage and allowed them to reach in. And they were able, they couldn't see the elephant, so they touched the elephant. And one guy said, the elephant's just like a snake. And the other one says, no, it's not. It's just like a tree. And, and the other one says, uh, no, it's not. It's more like a bush. And you know what? All three were right. One had one end of the elephant, one had somewhere in the middle, and the other had his tail. They were all right, but they didn't see clearly. They only had a bit of revelation, a bit of what they could know. Um, Let me bring that to 21st century. Um, 
if your house is like ours, occasionally you'll turn on a mindless game show. And then you'll, you'll know the answers. It's three letters, it's uh, 17, you've got it. But people under pressure, they say outrageously hilarious things. Right? Right? Ostriches drinking margaritas. No, that's not correct. Yeah. <laughs> under pressure, they say crazy things when they only have a few letters. Only partial revelation. Right? And so Isaiah is giving the revelation that he has, but he doesn't have it all unpacked. But he knows that there will be one day a wonderful counselor who will know our heart of hearts, but he will be mighty God. And this will never end. He will be everlasting father. And we will not just live with righteousness. We will live with peace. He will be the prince of peace. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty, he is the one who will accomplish this. Chapter 26, turn a few more pages. In that day, they will sing a new song in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. They're going to sing the song. Skip down to verse 3. You will keep him, that's the Lord, in perfect peace, whose mind is steadfast, who stayed on him, right? Why? Because we trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever. The Lord himself, he's the eternal rock. Uh, I've memorized that in two or three different translations. Because I, you, like me, we, we want to trust in the Lord and we want to live at the point of perfect peace. And it only comes when we have the Prince of Peace. From chapter 26, skip over to chapter 40. Here it is, chapter 40, verse 3. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the des- in the desert the highway for our God. Okay, stop for a moment. Uh, get this there's one coming out of the wilderness when Isaiah says this he doesn't know he just knows what he knows he doesn't know what he doesn't know one in the wilderness and he says prepare the way for the Lord so whoever it is that's speaking isn't the Lord he's saying prepare the way of the Lord you know you know who that is that's the prophecy of John by the way if you were in Jesus day and a guy walks in and says make the crooked way straight prepare for the Lord you know what if you were a God follower and knew the Old Testament you'd say uh oh that I've heard this before. You would say, this is the coming of the Messiah. But they didn't do that. Skip down chapter 40, verse 30 and 31. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those whose hope is in the Lord renew their strength. In other words, you won't give up if you just hope in the Lord. They will, and we love this, don't we? They'll soar like on wings like eagles, run, not grow weary, walk, not faint. We take that to heart, don't we? Yeah, because we need the encouragement. We love Isaiah for the hope he delivers. Keep moving through the chapter to skip down to chapter 53. Pick up at verse 1, 53 verse 1. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him with a tender shoot like a root out of dry ground. Get this, when there was no hope, the ground was dry, a shoot will come up. There'll be hope that will come up. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing of his appearance that we would desire him. Stop right there. You you never hear people say, oh, isn't he a cute baby? It's not in the text, right? We're all about the good looks of a baby, isn't it? And I'm partial, I like chubby babies anybody a chubby baby person i like it when they have i call them bracelets when there's like that fat fold fat fold i I don't know if it's healthy or not i just like it that to me like let's eat yeah let's take a nap we all talk about how cute a baby is right 
It's just not in the text. So they're, they're saying people are not attracted to him because he's a rock star. They're attracted to him. No one believes the message. He, nothing is attractive to him about his appearance. He's an average Joe, but he's despised. He's rejected by man, a man of suffering, familiar with pain. Like one, whom, uh, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Stop there. In other words, he will be so disfigured people cannot stand to look at him. That's what he will endure. Okay? Verse 4. Surely he has borne our pain and borne our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. No, no, no. He said, we're thinking God put this on him. And he's saying, but he was pierced for our transgressions. Verse, verse 5. Get that? He's crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. So the very peace we enjoy is because of the turmoil we put on him. He was crushed. But why did that happen? And Isaiah says, it's because we're like sheep, verse 6. We're like sheep who've gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, word for sin, depravity, fallenness, chaotic selfishness. Put all those together. He has put on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah sees it all. He sees the Savior, King. He sees him scorned and tortured. He sees him suffering, stricken, not because he did anything wrong, but because he's taking our punishment, our transgressions, and by his wounds we are healed. You can see the Savior in this without even getting the Gospels. Make no mistake. Make no mistake. We are sinful people. And you know what? We don't want to hear that today. They didn't want to hear it then. And the Messiah would be shepherd for the soul and he would, he would lay down his life for the sheep. Now, we could keep going with more passages, but I'm going to stop. Let me tell you about the life. That's why we love Isaiah, but let me tell you about the life of Isaiah. We love him from a distance because he's already passed and the messages are coming true. And we find out, oh yeah, he really was of God. But, Stop for a moment. That's not, that's not what the reality was for Isaiah in his day. As much as we love him, that's how much his people hated him. So here's the story of Isaiah. Isaiah was born into a very affluent home. It is a story of a life that is a beautiful tragedy. He could have anything he wanted because his parents were rich his parents were also influential. They had power both domestically and internationally. He grew up rubbing shoulders with royalty. He lived during the time, though, of the decline of the nation of Israel. If you were to take this book, Isaiah, and put it in the historical context, it's somewhere in the book of Second Kings, probably the back half, maybe chapters 15 to 20. Okay? And by this point in history, Saul, David, and Solomon, the three kings of Israel, have reigned. And then at the death of Solomon... The kingdom now has split north and south. Okay? And you have to remember, Israel is only the size of New Jersey. Okay? And now it's split. So now the part of the kingdom he's in is southern. The northern kingdom never does get any good kings. And that, that kingdom eventually gets overrun, invaded, and the, all the assets get stripped out and taken away to, to foreign countries. And so it gets taken hostage against its will. It's, a, it's an outside influence. So those northern kingdoms or those northern colonies if you will they all get taken away 
And all that's left is the southern, which is oftentimes called Judah. And there's two tribes left there. He's living there. So he sees a decline. That southern kingdom has some good kings, some okay kings, some bad kings. Okay? And so they hang on a little longer. But they still feel, they still see and feel decline. And think about it. New Jersey's just gotten smaller and smaller. And they feel the decline, not only of national defense, but of the economy, of trade. They feel threatened by other countries. And yet they won't repent of their sin. And he's announcing the sin of the people. They don't want to hear it because it's stiff-necked people. And so this spiral down, he cannot stop. And when, a, when he reaches a respectable age, he begins to speak out loud about these terms. They don't want to hear them. And they categorize him as a social reformer, although he knows his calling is much higher. It isn't social reform. It's absolute regeneration. It's transformation of their lives. If they'll just trust that the coming Savior, this king, his, high, his calling is way higher. And he wants the nation ready to welcome this king, although he doesn't know fully about him. He wants, the, he wants the people of his land that are left to welcome, and they won't. They will not repent of their sin. They won't get right with God. They don't want to welcome the Messiah. They want to keep doing what they've always done, even though it's extremely uh, self-destructive. And, and they conf- he confronts it, preaches it, even though this is the one who said, for unto us a child is born. His name will be Wonderful Counselor. And they're saying, shut up. They didn't want to hear it. And so as positive as he is to us, he's that negative to his own country. Okay, you got that context? And you know what they'll do with him? They'll eventually kill him. They will kill him. You're in Hebrews 12. If you go back to chapter 11, some were beaten and flogged. Historians, it's quite legendary, this isn't in the text, but most historians believe he was the one they say, they, they, they think they, they jammed Isaiah into a hollowed out rotted tree, a log, they jammed him into the log and then cut the log in half. That's how he died. And, and, and this is the guy that brought us, for unto us a savior is born, and the government will be on his shoulders and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor. And, you're, and if, it, if it's you and me, I mean, we're saying, why bother? I mean, if it's me, quite honestly, I'm saying, you don't want to be saved. You don't want to go to heaven. I mean, there's a bit of Jonah in me right now. Is there in you? Like, I don't care anymore. Because you, you kill the very guy who brings you the good news. And, and after all that, and then he dies, you wonder, is this really worth it? Is it really worth it? And the answer, if you were to run this lap of life with Isaiah, if he could run with you, he would say, oh yeah, because I didn't live for that life. I lived for the next. I lived for a legacy. And you can too. And it may not always be easy. But you can live for a legacy. And I'm going to give you three takeaways. Here, here they are. Number one. I think Isaiah would say, you're part of something bigger than you know. You, you just, so you have to stand well. You, it's, it's bigger than you know. Isaiah is in a long line of people who will introduce God's rescue plan. He's just one of a series of prophets. And, and while the nation's in decline and hates him, he knows there's a greater plan. And he knows that plan goes back because he can see it with open eyes. Actually, that plan predates Genesis 1.1. It was God's predetermined plan to send the Savior before the heavens and earth were even 
spun into being. And the plan encompasses more people than you can get your head around. There'll be a greater movement. It'll be every tongue and tribe and people and nation. It, just, it won't just be little Judah. It won't be just us. The revolution and the transformation will be astounding. I was, uh, I, I had a privilege this week to go with my good buddy Ernest, my good buddy Sadiq. Uh, we scooted out of town for a couple of days to Memphis. Um, this week marks 50 years since Martin Luther King was shot at the Lorraine Hotel in Memphis, Tennessee. And we went for a solemn assembly. We went for, there's a Bible conference, the gospel and racial reconciliation. And there were thousands at that event. There were tens of thousands at the rally because there were several events around the city. <clears throat> there's a guy who was old when I was a kid who spoke at the conference. His name's John Perkins. I met him, um, I don't know, 25 years ago. He was old then. Okay? All right? But he shows up at the conference. He was at the bridge. I mean, he was, you know, he, with, uh, with King at the cross and the bridge. You, you know, he got beat up. I mean, there's story after story after story. Um, but this is a guy who's committed to Jesus Christ, and he's a wonderful, um, just a wonderful brother in the Lord. But a guy who predates me, you know, just in, but a wonderful man. I, and I loved him. Before I met him, I had read his works. And then when I got to meet him, he was every bit as good as all of his writings and even better. And he shows up at the conference, and we're still struggling with this racial reconciliation thing. And you know what he did? He, he infused us with hope. He said, you know, 50 years ago, because he, he, he got beat up pretty bad, and he tells this story about hating uh, white people because of what they did to him. He's in the hospital. And then as he's in recovery in the hospital, it's white doctors and nurses who nurse him back to health and take care for him. And, he's, and he says, essentially, he says, they oozed the pains out of me. They cared for me. And he said, it was the love of Jesus that made me say, I have, I have to forgive the people, but there's good people around me. And then he looks into the crowd and he says, and who would have guessed 50 years later? And he looks at, I don't know, 3,500 people in this audience. And he says, who would have guessed this number of people would meet for this kind of event? And it was wonderful. That, in, that gave me hope. Because 50 years ago, it was just a handful. And uh, last week, there were clusters all over the city. At every large assembly room in Memphis, there were great gathering uh, places. And, and I think that what I got from John is not only is there hope for racial reconciliation, but the only hope really is in believing in the forgiving power of Jesus and loving one another. And I'm, I needed to hear that more than I knew. You know, There were other preachers that did a great job. You can get online and listen to them. But being in the room and experiencing that, I think if you could be with Isaiah, he would say to you, it was worth it. It was absolutely worth it. Oh, sure, they beat me up and threw me out of town and eventually killed me. But it doesn't matter because I got to announce the coming of the Savior. Get that. Think of this. Sure, they killed me, but they read my text every Christmas. I mean, it's true, isn't it? 
So if you want to live a legacy, you have to think in those terms. You understand where this is going? Okay. You have this sermon. I could, we might as well go to Cracker Barrel now. Oh, I have to do this again. Yeah. Number two. Here it is. You might not realize your impact. You just don't know. You do not know your impact. In the eyes of the people, um, Isaiah, Isaiah's life was a waste. That's the way they viewed him. He's, he's helping people who could never pay him back. He's helping people who could do... No. That's when you really serve. If you serve someone who could never pay you back, that's when we find out you can really serve. And by the way, a bunch of you will serve this week, the homeless. And, and, and when I walk through with the troops, I never, I never hear anybody go, I can't stand working here. You know, no, everyone loves it. And most people who leave after serving homeless will say, I was so blessed. I, you know, and they'll say, no, we gave, but we got way back, way more than we. I brought a lasagna, but I come back with a full heart. You, you know, I, that's the way the week's going to go. I can predict it. I'm not even a prophet. And I, you'll just be blessed by it. You're going to do it again at Christmas and April. We'll do it again over the summer with other ministries. We'll do it again this summer with Guatemala trip. You'll just keep doing it. And the ones who give towards that, you know, with their hands or their money or whatever, when they invest in it, they tend to be the ones that are blessed. So Isaiah would say, even though the people would view him as a loser and somehow wasted his life, no, you have no idea the impact. So you're part of something greater, so make sure you stand well. This is bigger than you realize. You don't realize the impact you're going to have. So make sure you're faithful to it. Be faithful to it. Be consistent. Be faithful. And thirdly, just know that God's plan will prevail. So don't lose hope. Do not lose hope. When you're tempted to take the easy way out, the path of comfort, stay the course. Because God will eventually reward the pure heart, the undivided devotion, your earnest efforts to bring about the changes that he desires. Eventually, get this, God wins. And I've read the end. I know, God eventually wins. So now it's just my chance to get on the winning side. So leave the legacy. Leave the legacy. Fight off. Resist it all that you can. The, the, the tendency to pull back or to not trust because when you arrive into heaven, they don't want to say, oh my gosh, I'm surprised you're here. No, you, you want them to hear, you want to hear, well done, welcome. We are so glad you're here. Amen? You got it. Let's bow for prayer. Let's stand as we pray. Lord, we want to leave the mark. So purify in our own hearts what Bill just read a few minutes ago. Restore to us a clean spirit. Renew a right heart within us. So the mark that we leave is pure and holy and righteous and lasting and eternal and significant. May we live for the legacy of the glory of your son. And we pray this in his name. The church says amen. Amen. Amen.